When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. I find that a very, very interesting text. And I find it to be a very practical text as well. The, uh, the text comes after Jesus had been uh, casting out demons. And he had been accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, or the chief of the demons. Uh, there's no question, in my mind at least, and should be no question in yours, that Jesus had the power at that time to exert authority over evil spirits and to expel them from individuals that were being troubled by those evil spirits. And there's no doubt in my mind, or no hesitation in my mind today, that Jesus has power to expel evil demons or spirits from my life. And as a matter of fact, we don't live in a time when we can see the evil spirits leaving a person, but we do live in a time when we know when Jesus comes on the premises of a bad person, and that person wants to get rid of the demons of their life, that it happens. And it happens so often that this world understands that Jesus has the power to change people and to cleanse them from evil influences in their lives. So there's no doubt, should be any, any doubt in our lives, that uh, he is able to have the authority, he does have the authority, to, to rid our lives of evil influences. Now, without examining our spiritual situation in the light of scriptures, we can surely agree that every human being has his or her personal demons. You do, and I do. We have our personal struggles where we have influences that come upon us that we need help in overcoming that influence. If we didn't need that help, Jesus had no business coming to this earth. But we do need that help. We cannot do it alone. We cannot expel or evict the evil spirits by ourselves. Now, we can call these inclinations to evil, or we can say it's a propensity to misbehave, or we can call them demons. But we do have that problem. And the problem is that we listen and allow evil influences to take precedence over our good inclinations, and we do things that we should not be doing. And we don't do things that we should be doing. Now, in James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, James said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does he tempt any man. So God is not going to tempt us to do something wrong. He will, however, tempt us to do something that's right. But he'll never tempt us to do something that's wrong. Every man, when he is tempted, is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Now, the devil is called the tempter because of that very reason. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, when the tempter came to Jesus, remember, 
he tempted him on three different areas or three different planes of temptation. We picture, generally, a small angel in white on one shoulder and a small demon in red on the other shoulder. One has a pitchfork, the other has a little wand or whatever, halo. And one is whispering in our ear to do bad things, and the other is whispering in our ear to do good things. Now that's generally how we, how we view it. That's simply acknowledging that there is a struggle going on inside our very being, inside our soul. Our hearts are trying to gain control over our lives for good, and the demons that we've allowed into our presence are trying to get us to do that which is bad. Jesus is the good angel, and the devil is the bad angel. Psychologists have long, long debated over our propensities. Is it nature or nurture? In other words, do we have an inclination to do wrong or were we were born wrong to start with and have to have an inclination to try to do good? It's generally assumed, and I think we, we understand that from everything that we know in science and in religion, that when a child is born, a baby is born, they're born pure. They came directly from the cradle of God to our cradle. So, it, it depends upon what type of nurture the child has, not their nature, but their nurture, whether or not they're going to turn evil or going to turn good. And that's where the struggle comes in. Now, we can control our emotions, and we can control our inclinations if we want to. And that's the, that's the problem. Sometimes we don't have the strength enough within ourselves to overcome our bad inclinations and to gain the good inclinations and do good instead of doing evil. Now, Paul expressed it this way in Romans chapter 6. I keep going back to the Scriptures because the Scriptures give me the guidance I need to know what's going on inside of me and what God has intended for me to do and how He's sent help to rescue me from some bad situations. Romans 6, verse 16 through 18 says, Don't you know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey. Now that's interesting, isn't it? You're yielding yourself a servant to obey some inclination. Somebody's trying to get you to do something wrong. Now that's, that's what we were talking about a while ago. And I, I believe it's, it's an evil demon and a good angel struggling within ourselves. Now, I couldn't visualize the angel or the demon I don't visualize them as two little figures, a red one and a white one on our shoulders. But I do know that there is something within me that, that I've allowed access inside my heart that wants me to do something that's wrong. And I have that inclination and I can make that choice. I can do it or I can, I can refuse it. He said, don't you know whom you obey, whether you're obeying sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? He said, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, but you became the servants of righteousness. Now, I don't want to insult the animal kingdom, or your pets for that matter. <laughs> so I'm going to say some things, talking about your little puppies, little dogs, and little cats, and little chickens maybe, and whatever it may be that you've, that you've adopted as a pet. 
But uh, we are the, the height of the animal kingdom, but we're above the animals. We have the ability to choose right and wrong, and we have the ability to deny our inclinations or to accept our inclinations, and animals do not have that ability. They simply do not. Now, you can put a little cap on your dog and a little sweater on your dog and put it in a little stroller and roll it down through the the, uh, plaza and, and let everybody see your dog or cat or whatever animal you've tried to humanize, and they're still... A cat is still a cat, and a dog is still a dog, and a zebra is still a zebra. And they have animal inclinations, and they have animal genetics and instincts. You can train an animal to do something different. You can train them to stand on their hind legs, for instance, if they walk on all fours. You can train them to do a number of things. Pavlov made that demonstration years and years ago. He was a psychologist, and... And he did some experiments. So you, he can make a dog salivate and ring a bell. And you can make a chicken play a piano. These things can be done. But a chicken and a dog do not have inclinations to evil or to good. They have the instincts that God gave them. And so after all is said and done, a dog is a dog. A cat is a cat. A lion is a lion. And you cannot take that out of them and make them into a human being. But human beings are not like that. We don't have to obey our instincts. We have the ability, God gave us the ability, to overcome those propensities. Now you can train it out of an animal. You can train that out of an animal. You can make a dog or cat do things that dogs and cats usually don't do. But still... It's your choice and not theirs. You see what I'm saying? And if you get a hold of a feral animal, you'll find that a feral animal will do things that feral animals do that ordinarily they do by instinct and by their very nature. And they're not right or they're wrong. They're not wrong. They're not listening to someone saying, do this, do something that's wrong and will harm you. They're simply following the nature that God gave them. Now, we are an intelligent society and we know that we cannot hold an animal responsible for their activities when it is their nature to do certain things that we understand. So you cannot put a a lion on trial for killing another animal. You can't do that because it's their nature. So here, but, but we have the situation with ourselves. We have that ability to make sure that we can either accept what we're being encouraged to do or we can deny it and do what we should be doing, which is right. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 at verse 13, the Bible says this, There has not been any temptation that's overtaken you, but is common to man. Every temptation that you face, somebody else has already faced it. It's common. It's common. So when, when you're tempted to do something, it's not because you're the only one on earth that's ever been tempted that way. It's common. So the temptation is there. It says God is faithful. He won't suffer you to be tempted above what you're able. He'll give you a way of escape that you may be able to bear up under it. Perhaps we can agree that there's a constant tug of war going on with our souls for preeminence and predominance. The good is not so much a problem. There's a struggle for good, that's not a problem. 
If you, if you submit yourself to every good inclination you have, that's wonderful. You'll just get along so well in this life, in this earth, you go to heaven. If every inclination you have to good, you accept that, and that's the only inclination you follow, that's wonderful. But those bad ones, when the demons step in, you know, this text says that this fellow had a bad, had a demon in his life. He was cast out. And he said, whoopee, I'm free, I'm ready, I can just do anything I want to do. No problem. And instead of bringing the good in, he let the bad come back in. And so he, he got more bad demons back in. And they were, turned out that they made him worse than he was at the first. So the first thing we do when we're talking about good and evil is we, we make a decision to get rid of the evil. Just get it out of our lives. I'm going to talk plainly to you. We're going to just get rid of the things that, that harm us. Now, here's a text that's pretty, pretty straightforward. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11 says this, Don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You just can't get in that way. But he says, we're going to cast that out. We're going to cleanse your house for you. That's what he said. He said, such were some of you. You're washed. That's when you're baptized into Christ. You're washed. You're sanctified. You're set apart. And he said, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the fresh start. This is the place where we get the demon out. The demon's out. And then we're supposed to be refurnishing our house. We're supposed to be getting everything back into order. And the metaphor is kind of like this. You've got a clean house now. Put some good stuff in it. Right? If you, if you get, a, if you get a, um, an old house that you're going to flip, you heard that expression? Here's a house I'm going to flip. It's got bad siding, got a bad roof, got a bad flooring, got a ba- it's, got, it's got bad plumbing, it's got bad wiring, it's got, well, it's just hardly any good for anything. But somebody says it's got good bones, whatever that means. It means that you, you have something to work with. Okay, so then you, you start cleaning it up, getting it looking good. Now, that's, what, that's what, we ha- what happens when you become a Christian. God cleans you up. He just scrubs you down. All of a sudden, you're fresh and sparkling new. And you've got a good place for Jesus to live. He's our guest. And we're eager to throw out the garbage. We want to do that. We want to get rid of it. I want, I want my life to be refreshed. I want to be forgiven for everything that I've done wrong. And God has promised that He'll do that. And we should be eager to keep out an intruder and thieves and burglars and, and uh, interlopers. There's an old adage that generally circulates before election years. Have you ever heard it? We're better with the, with the uh, old rascals than we are with the new rascals. Well, what he's saying is that we, we know the old problems, but what about the new problems? If we vote somebody in that we don't know, we may be adding to our problems. We try to avoid that pitfall by furnishing our house with another guest, one that's more powerful and has more ability to turn us in the right direction. And, of course, that's Jesus. 
He'll also help us to clean up the clutter and the debris and kick out the demons. Now, there's another truism that we generally use, and that is that if you let a house or property stand un, uninhabited, it will deteriorate. The, the earth will reclaim it. Did you know that? If you have a house, a little house setting out on the prairie and just leave it alone, the earth will reclaim that house. It'll just deteriorate because it's not inhabited. So if we, if we don't put someone in our house, it's going to turn into a deteriorated shambles. So we want to put the right guest in. Now, we don't want to put someone in that's going to tear the place apart again. We want to put someone in who's going to keep that house in good order so that we know that if we have Jesus Christ here, if we answer the call of Christ and we repent and be baptized, then all the past filth and all the, the uh, messiness and meanness is forgiven. The house is sanitized, sterilized, and off we go. And we've evicted the demons. We start with a clean and well-furnished environment. That doesn't mean that we are disinclined to go back to our former life because, and here's where it really, you have to understand this. Just because you've got your house clean and Jesus has cleaned everything, cleansed everything, doesn't mean that you won't bring some dirt back in. Matter of fact, it happens. It's called, Jeremiah called it backsliding. You just go back to your old inclinations. You go back and do the things you were doing before and maybe some new things. Second Peter 2 at verse 20 through 22. If after they've escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. That's what we read about when we were reading about the demons that had been cast out, the demon, and then he didn't, he didn't refurnish his place and didn't put Jesus there. Then the other demons come back. It says it's better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it to turn from the holy commandment and be, be turned again unto the, uh, like a dog to his vomit again and the sow that was washed to his wallowing in the mire. Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 6, it's an impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit. If you've tasted the good word and the word of God and the powers of the world to come, if you fall away, it's impossible for someone to renew you again unto repentance. Well, there's a strong possibility that a believer that has had his house cleansed and the demons exorcised, that they will invite the right guests back into their home. Well, in order to resist the intrusion of unwanted demons, we have to seek someone who can help keep our house clean. Have to seek someone's help. You know I'm talking about Jesus. I'm, I'm here to tell you, you believe in Jesus Christ. And of course, our faith in Jesus Christ is the predominant factor in our relationship with God. When we, by faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, when we understand Jesus Christ and we then obey His commandments, we believe in Him and we repent and say, okay, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it this differently. I'm going to follow the Lord. Okay, we're at that point. Then we're baptized into Christ. And our sins are washed away. That's what, what Paul was told. He said, why, Terry, rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins. Our sins are washed away. Our bodies washed with pure water. Our hearts are sprinkled from new conscience. Now we're going on our way. Now the point is, 
I need some help to make sure that nobody else comes in with him. And Jesus is our help. And that's where I want to get practical. I have to get practical with this. I have a temptation. I want to go back. Someone says, I have a demon. My demon was anger. Anger. How does Jesus keep that out of my heart? You keep that out by keeping Him in your heart. If He's there, you can't bring the anger in. If you say, wait a minute, Lord, I've got this, this just burns me up. But you can't include Him in that because it doesn't burn Him up. He's your friend. He's there by faith. He is there. And that's, that's exactly what the Bible says. Hebrews, or John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. And it shall never perish, nor shall any man pluck them from my hand. My Father has given them to me. He's greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. He said, you can't, you can't get out of my hand. You, nobody can get you out of my hand. But of course, you know you can slam the door and keep him away. You cannot think about Jesus and think about getting mad at somebody. You can't do that. It just is not possible. You cannot lose your temper with your husband, your wife, your child, your friend, your neighbor. You cannot lose your temper with them as if Jesus is with you. You have to set him aside and say, Please, Lord, wait outside while I get this off my chest. <laughs> That's really what you're doing. I'm going to do this, but I don't want, I don't want you to see me doing it. I don't, you can't be around. I know, I know what you would do. Is he there? Is he in your heart? Matthew 28, 19-20 is an impressive text. Jesus told the apostles, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Look what he said. I am with you always. Now, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you must believe that he's with you. If you don't believe that, that's the problem. That's, what, that's a big problem. 2 Corinthians 13, at verse 4 says, Though he were crucified through weakness, talking about Jesus, Yet he lives by the power of God. Who has the power to help me overcome my anger? Jesus Christ. He has the power. I don't have it. But Jesus Christ has the power. And he gives me that power. He said, we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. You can do it by the power of God. Ephesians 3.20 now unto him that is able to exceeding above all that you thought or asked, according to the power that works in us. He has the power. I, I want to go back to what I've been doing before. I don't have the... I, I'm weak, Lord, I'm weak. We know you're weak. That's why, that's why I sent my son. Because you're weak. He's got the power. He's the one that, that can do it. And we have the aid of the Holy Spirit to help us, to keep the demons at bay. Now, John 14, 16-18, Jesus said, 
I will pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, it receives him not, it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Okay. Now the way the Holy Spirit comes, and let's get practical again. The way the Holy Spirit comes to you is through the Word. Through the, through the Scriptures. That's the way He comes. He is, and Jesus is the Word as well. So you can't, you can't have Jesus in you with the power if you shut your Bible. You can't do that. Shut your New Testament. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. The, this Holy Spirit helps our infirmities. Romans chapter 8 at verse 26. And yet Romans chapter 1 at verse 16 and 17 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. So the gospel is the power. But what we're saying is that the Holy Spirit enters your life through the Word. Now then, I have this inclination. I'm greedy. I, 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 want, I want things. I'm greedy. I'm jealous. I'm envious. I have all these propensities. How do I get rid of those? Let the Holy Spirit help you. Okay, how is He going to do it? Well, we know that Jesus will do it. If you realize that He's there by faith, your faith tells you He's there with you, the Holy Spirit as well too. What happens is this. You start reading the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Just try it sometime. Do you know what happens? While you're reading the Gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to come across a passage somewhere. And all of a sudden, it's going to slap you right in the face. It's going to punch you right in the nose. It's going to stun you because you're looking at it and you say, well, that, that's how I feel. That's, that's, I, 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 I've been doing that. I shouldn't be doing that. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you through the Scriptures and telling you to quit. Don't quit drinking. Quit, quit getting drunk. The Scriptures tell you that all the time. The Scriptures say, be angry and sin not. Quit getting mad. You'll read that Scripture and you'll say, uh-oh. You know what happens when you read that passage? And you're reading it and you're saying, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you and saying, quit that. Stop that. You look at the Scriptures and you're reading a text and it says that, that all adulterers and fornicators will have their part in the lake that burns the fire and you think, that's a stunner. You're committing fornication. You're committing adultery. What's going to happen? You're going to get thumped. The Holy Spirit is going to whack you when you read that passage. That's how the Holy Spirit works in your heart to get you to stop. And that's how He kicks the other demons out of your life. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He'll guide you into all truth. Jesus told the apostles in John sixteen thirteen. He shall not speak of himself, whatsoever he shall hear. Thus shall he speak, he will show you things to come. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing even to the asunder of even the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. And the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The, uh, the Lord comes to us in very easy ways. He comes to us through faith. We open our lives to Him and He steps into our life and He comes through the front door. The front door. He doesn't sneak around. He doesn't skulk around the weeds outside our house. He doesn't try to jimmy a window open in the back. He doesn't crawl into the basement and try to invade our house that way. 
But that's what the devil does. The demons come in through the back door. The demons tear me a window open. The demons skulk and try to get around different ways. And they do it in the darkness. He is the prince of darkness. But Jesus comes in face to face in the front door. And we can receive him and take him in. And I think this is what John was talking about. If you want to look at one last passage in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 2. John makes a statement. and this you, you, you might wrestle with this one once in a while just like I do. Because I, I, this text tells me that, that if, uh, if I'm a Christian, I won't sin. Now, it says, Beloved, now we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. This is 1 John 3, verse 2 through 9. But uh, we know that when it appear, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And every man that has this hope in Him purifies himself even as He is pure. Whosoever commits sin transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that He was manifest to take away our sins. He was manifest to take away our sins. When you see Jesus through the eye of faith, He'll keep you from sinning. It's just that simple. Mm -hmm. Just that simple. When you're inclined to sin, look at Jesus. His power will overwhelm that inclination and you will not sin. Take your eyes off of Him and you will sin. Got it? Very simple, isn't it? Very simple. Close this book. And the Holy Spirit will not talk to you. He simply will not talk to you. Open this book, and as you're reading it, you will feel Him talking to you and coming into your life. And you will feel the demons leaving you and being supplanted by the Son of the everlasting God, Jesus Christ. Here's what the text says. He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. You can't partner with Him in sin. He just doesn't do that. Whosoever abides in Him sins not. Whosoever sins not, whosoever sins has not seen Him. Whoever abides in Him can't sin. That's the whole issue. Stay with Him. You will not sin. Walk away. You will sin. It's just that simple. Just that clear. He is in my life and if I have an inclination to sin, if I will reach out to Him, He will exert enough power over me that I will not sin. But just as soon as I take my eyes off of Him and decide I'm going to do something else, I'm lost. Now, I can come back, that's for sure. I can come back. But He has the power to cast out the demons and fill my life with good things. And my friend, the good things he brings into your house are wonderful. They're just wonderful. Let's, let's sing our song of invitation. How about Art? Let's stand.